Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. This morning we're going to talk about what does it mean to have assurance of our salvation? And also, as we think about those who we love, who don't seem to be following Jesus, what should we think about assuring them of their salvation? I'm simply going to present the word to you this morning. It's one of the most difficult, challenging texts in Hebrews, if not the Bible. So take it and study it along with me. So let's dive deep. Let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Now, we are in the midst of a digression from chapter 5, 11 through 6, 20. And it's a very meaningful digression that must be stated before the author can begin to move on. In chapter 5, the preacher shows that Jesus has been appointed by God as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the author wants to elaborate on what that means, that Jesus is in the high priesthood of Melchizedek but he can't tell them about that yet because they've become spiritually lazy and apathetic and hard of hearing. So let's look at what he says starting in Hebrews 5, verse 11. Hebrews 5, 11. Concerning him, we have much to say concerning Melchizedek. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil." They have become poor listeners. They have become dull of hearing. This is not a physical problem that many of us may have in here. This is a spiritual problem. They're like infants who need milk and not solid food. And so the author needs to tell them something serious, but they're so immature and should be further along by now. Here's the deal. It's a church. They're being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Maybe it's the Romans coming at them. Maybe it's the Jews coming at them. But whatever it is, some of them are considering bailing on Jesus Christ. They're not persevering or they're in danger of not persevering. They become dull of hearing. Their hearts are starting to become hard. And he wants to go at them and he wants to give them great truths. But before he can do that, he's got to pull back a bit and speak to them on their level. Look at chapter 6, chapter 6. Therefore, verse 1, therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The Hebrews should be teachers by now. Instead, they need to start all over 
from square one. Because they need to start to learn how to leave behind the elementary teaching about Christ and press on to maturity. It's not a time to go backward and rehash all the fundamentals of the faith like salvation by faith alone, baptism, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. It's not a time to go backward, but a time to go forward in maturity. So he's about to wake them up. And the way he's going to wake them up is he is going to give them a warning. He's going to use a warning to wake them up out of their sluggishness. And the warning is going to tell them this. This is what it's going to say. You are in danger of falling away and going to hell. It's a very scary warning. If you do not persevere in your faith, you will go to hell. He's being very, very clear. And the point of this passage is not just to give them a warning, but to give them assurance of their salvation. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to say, pay attention to the warning and press on in assurance. Pay attention to the warning and press on in assurance. Now, maybe you've heard these passages preached before, and sometimes I've heard this preached before. It's all types of gymnastics. All types of logic connections here and there to make a point to try to explain how the author is not addressing the church or Christians. I'm sorry, I'm not going there. He's talking to a church. He's talking to Christians. These are Christian phrases. That's what, for real, that's what we have in front of us. And if you're not so sure about that, let's study together. I want you to notice the warning addressed to the church. Let's start in verse 4, and tell me if you think these are Christian phrases. Verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Stop there. So a person is a Christian who has received the light, and now they see the truth of the gospel. They've been enlightened. Look at the next thing. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. Salvation is from heaven, and those who participate in the salvation have tasted the heavenly gift. And you're, you're thinking, well, I'm not so sure if tasting is descriptive enough of full participation in salvation. You need to think no further than back to Hebrews 2.9, where it says, Jesus fully tasted death. And just as Jesus has fully tasted death, we, who are believers, have tasted the heavenly gift and participate in salvation. Continue to look at verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. We've shared in the Holy Spirit. We're partakers. Just as believers share in a heavenly calling and share in Christ, so we also share in the Holy Spirit. Believers share together the experience of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. And have tasted the good word of God. Believers eat the word of God in salvation, and we conclude the word of God is good. Continue in verse 5. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. It's probably referring to maybe the, the signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Hebrews experienced when they were converted. They participated fully in these charismatic uh, gifts in that sense when the gospel came to them in power. So to me, if I'm reading this right, if I'm not trying to do any gymnastics, if I'm not just trying to trick you, 
it seems like we're talking about Christians here. Those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. Now, you may say to me, what's the big deal? Of course it's talking about believers. Everybody in here would say, what's the big deal, pastor? What's the? If you say what's the big deal, then you maybe haven't studied Hebrews before because it's the verses that come after this that make people do gymnastics. Ready? Oh, these are going to mess you up. All right, ready? Look at verse 6. We just described all these people that are believers and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. (laughs) What? So if people fall away from Jesus, it is impossible, according to the word, Underline, circle, highlight, impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. If people fall away from Christ, then they're on their way to hell with no opportunity for repentance. Just like we saw in chapter 6, that it is impossible for God to lie. So it is impossible for those who have fallen away from Christ to be brought back to repentance. As someone has once said, apostasy can't be cured. Apostasy, falling away from Jesus, can't be cured. Impossible to be brought back to repentance. And you're like, what? That is really scary. Who is that person? I believe we're talking about the person here who has flat out turned their back on Jesus. They have so hardened their hearts against Jesus and the gospel, there is no return. They have rejected the sacrifice of Christ and they will never come back. This has been building up to this point. This is the person who's not paying more careful attention to what they've heard, chapter two. Or they're ignoring such a great salvation, as we talked about in chapter two. They're being hardened by sin's deceitfulness, as we talked about in chapter three. And they have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, as we talked about in chapter three. If you keep sinning day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you may get to a point where you don't care and it's impossible for you to come back to Jesus. Well, let's put this something very positive spin on this. It is beautiful to be able to repent. It is beautiful to be able to repent. Repentance is a beautiful thing where you feel the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But it's really scary to think that if you're not careful you may get to a point where you can't repent, where you stay in your sin day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and your heart is becoming hard, hard, and hard, and then you are unable to repent. In fact, it says it's impossible. Oh, that's scary. All right, let's keep going. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6 again. Verse 6 says, for it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. It's saying it's impossible for them to be renewed to repentance because once they have adamantly turned their back on Christ, it's as if they are crucifying him all over again. 
It's as if they're joining the crowd who killed Jesus on the Christ on the cross and openly subject him to disgrace. When the world sees an apostate, a once professor of Jesus Christ, turn their back on Jesus, it's as if the world is seeing Jesus being ridiculed and crucified all over again. Rather than turning to the sacrifice on the cross and receiving forgiveness, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and subjecting him to disgrace all over again. Now, I know these are difficult uh, passages, so that's why I'm going to say two things here. I know this is really challenging. And so the first of the two things I want to say is this. The warning is addressed to the church. It is. I mean, it is. I and mean, it's, it's flat out addressed to the church. He's not dealing with a different group right here. He's talking to the church. These are descriptions of Christians. And he's warning the Christians. And he's saying This is going to happen to you. Now, the question is this. Is this saying that a Christian can lose their salvation? And I want to say to you, it's not talking about that. No. You're like, what? We just read that. It seems like it's talking about Christians losing their salvation. Now, I want to make sure you get this because I've preached a whole sermon on this. If you weren't here like two or three weeks ago, go back and listen to it. So I'm going to repeat what I've said many times before. The author is using Christian descriptions because he's talking to a church. It's like me saying to you right now, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I mean, how else am I going to refer to you? I'm not going to say my pagans. No, my, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Does that mean I know that every single person in here is saved? No. But how else am I going to address the church? He's addressing the church as believers. That's what you do. But at the same time, he can give this warning and throw it out there because if you do not respond to the warning, you were never a believer in the first place, no matter how much you participated in churchy things. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is the warning is meant for our perseverance. It's meant for our perseverance. Don't hear this warning and think, oh, no, I'm going to hell right away. Some of you with a very sensitive conscience think, oh, no, I'm doomed. No, remember, I told you, it was like driving on on Highway 7 from Hot Springs down to Russellville. You know, it's all windy and stuff, and all those, 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 those signs say, slow down, slow down, you're going around a curve. Remember that? And so we don't look at the sign and go, oh, no, I'm going to go off a cliff. No, we see the warning, we slow down, we make it around the curve. That's what's going on in the warnings here. He warns us, we get warned, we slow down, we examine our lives and say, I I don't want to be a part of those who go off the cliff. That's the purpose of the warnings. But he's not just warning them. He also wants to encourage the church with assurance, assure them and their salvation. So let's turn to some more positive things, verses 7 and 8. We're going to see some stuff you've never maybe ever heard of before. This is going to be really good. Verses 7 and 8. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and produces vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Okay, this is easy to understand. All right, here we go. God's blessing is on the fruitful land that drinks in the rain and produces a useful crop just like his blessing is on those who are faithful to him. The second image is of the land that produces thorns and thistles and is worthless. 
This land is on its way to destruction, and at the end, it's burned. And those who are unfaithful to Jesus are headed down the road of destruction, and it's just a matter of time before the final judgment of hell comes upon them. Verse 9. This is good. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. The warning was harsh, as warnings should be, but now he speaks tenderly to his brothers and sisters. Now, of course, the outcome of neglecting the warning is eternal destruction in hell, but he is confident that the church, the Hebrews, they're better off than those who suffer the consequences of not responding. The Hebrews have things that accompany salvation. He's saying that you're the fruitful land and produces a useful crop that receives blessings from God. They are on their way to salvation in the completely future realized sense, and they are not going down the path of destruction and fire and hell. And he's confident of them. He's like, yeah, but though I warn you, I'm confident that you're going to keep following Jesus. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you've shown toward his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. He's like, I am impressed. I see your works. You love God. And in fact, you've been helping those who have been persecuted for their faith. And you may wonder, well, well how do the Hebrews help people? Well, don't you remember? Well, you won't remember yet. We're going to get there. But in Hebrews chapter 10, it gives some insight into this love. Hebrews 10 verses 32 and 34 say, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings partly by being made a public spectacle through insults and distress, and partly by becoming companions with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession. He's saying, I've seen it. I saw your early days. I'm encouraged by you. Keep it up. People took your property. You just worshiped. You continue to visit those in prison who were arrested. You loved on them. I'm encouraged by you. I have hope for you that though I warn you, I see signs of life and you're bearing fruit. Just keep going. And then he says in verse 11, and we desire that each one of you, now he goes from the corporate to the individual, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. He's encouraging them to show diligence and zeal and loving the Lord and loving his people until the end. The reason for doing this is to make their hope sure to realize the full assurance of hope. Like if you keep loving the Lord and loving others, then you make your hope sure. This is some evidence that he's seeing fruit in their life, diligence and zeal for the Lord. So here's something I want to introduce to you, and I want you to kind of keep this in your mind, and maybe you can use this to teach others one day. And it's one way to know that you are saved, or what we should say, assurance of salvation. If you're talking to someone who once professed Jesus Christ and has since fallen away, should you give them assurance of their salvation? Like if they say, well, I walked down the aisle when I was 10, but now I don't care anything about Jesus, I don't fall in his ways, but I'm going to be saved because I walked down the aisle when I was 10. Now, should you give them assurance of their salvation? And what we're going to see is the answer is no. So I'm going to introduce something to you that I want you to consider using in the future with those you minister to. 
is something called the three-legged stool. Three-legged stool. And I'm going to introduce you to these three legs, okay? Leg number one is God's promises. Leg number two is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And leg three is the witness of the Holy Spirit. So we can leave that slide up for a little bit. This is how we can know that we're saved. And this is how we can give others assurance of their salvation to tell them, hey, we want to encourage you. We believe you are saved, all right? So think about this. Leg one. Leg one is God's promises. Let's think about God's promises. God's promises to us in Scripture. Did you know there's, there's, there's Scripture where it's talking about God's never going to let you go. He has you, things like that. Listen to this. John 10, 28. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one's going to take you out of the Father's hand. You, if you're saved, you're not getting out of his hand. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. If you've come to God through Jesus, he's going to save you completely. He's got you. He's not letting you go. That's the first leg of assurance is God's promises. Now, the second leg, we're going to skip for a moment, and we're going to jump to the third leg, all right? We can do this. Leg three is talking about the witness of the Holy Spirit. I want to read to you from Romans 8, 15, and 16. Romans 8, 15, and 16 says this. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So think about it this way. Here's the, the, this next leg of assurance. That somehow the power of the Holy Spirit whispers to us. There's this witness of the Holy Spirit given assurance to us internally that we are children of God. It, it, Thomas Schreiner says, it's as if the Spirit is whispering to our heart that we are the children of God. So I, I just talked about something experientially. So you have the promises of God in leg one. He's never letting you out of his hand. And leg three is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is ministering to us, witnessing to us, yes, you are a child of God. Leg one, leg three. But we need leg two as well. And leg two is this, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Leg two is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. 1 John 2, 3, 1 John 2, 3 says this. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. How do you know that you've come to know Jesus? You obey his commands. Not perfectly, but that is the direction that you are headed. This is what the author of Hebrews is getting at. He's encouraging them to remain diligent in their works and their love till the very end. And it's that leg of the stool, the second leg of the stool, that we can observe in other people, right? Because Leg one is God's promises. He's never going to let you go. God, leg three is the Holy Spirit's ministering to us that we're children of God. But leg two is the fruit part. And we can see this in other people's lives. And a great scholar I like, George Guthrie, he says this. He says, the author of Hebrews can only give them assurance as much as he continues to see manifestations of God's grace in their lives. 
If the author continues to see love for the Lord and love for others, then he will tell them that he is confident or better things in their case, things that accompany salvation. On the other hand, if it becomes evident in their lives or the lives of other people that claim to be Jesus followers, that they're in sin and they refuse to repent, we can't give other people assurance of their salvation. Some people will want assurance of their salvation from us when they've totally turned away from the Lord. They are in sin. They have no desire to repent. And they may say, well, God told me he's never letting me go. And I feel that the Holy Spirit is telling me I'm his child and they're right in the middle, but I'm living a life where I hate Jesus. Give me assurance. Someone has put it like this. I'm running a race, I'm running a race, I'm running a race, I'm running a race. In the middle of the race, I quit. I go up to the official and say, excuse me, can I have the prize? He's like, no, no, you, you don't get the prize unless you finish the race. Keep going. We're not talking about good works here or anything like that. You got to keep following Jesus, walking in his grace. There's so many verses like, if you don't keep running, you're not going to get the prize of salvation in Jesus. So people would say, well, he's got me in his hand and over here, I feel I'm a believer, but I am not going to follow Jesus. No, no, no. We give people assurance of their salvation when we see fruit in their life, not perfection. A great example of fruit is repentance. We are repentant believers. If you ever watch a TV show, let's say you're watching the news and someone is being interviewed about some sin. And like, like, for example, here's what happens. A pastor is getting interviewed on some show by some commentator and they say, pastor, what about all those gay people? What do you think about that, pastor? It's almost like a gotcha moment, right? And the pastor's supposed to go, oh, I don't know. And, and, and the pastor will say, you know, if they're practicing homosexual acts, just like someone is a practicing adulterer, you can put all the sames. And he said, well, don't, aren't we all just sinners and we all need to accept the love of God? But here's the distinction that we have to make. We are all sinners across the whole earth, but only believers are repentant sinners. You got that? We repent. We're just as guilty as everybody else practicing any other sin, but we repent. We are repentant sinners. It is a beautiful thing to be able to repent. That is beautiful. And so he finishes it off. Verse 12. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators are those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now he starts back to where he did in 5.11. He says, I don't want you to be unreceptive. I don't want you to be sluggish. I don't want you to be lazy. But pick it up and be diligent and zealous for the Lord. And he urges them to imitate others who have preserved in faithfulness and through patience have inherited what is promised. Pay attention in the morning. Press on with assurance. It is a beautiful thing to be able to repent. One time my wife and I were watching TV and we were watching the great gospel singer, Kirk Franklin on the Oprah Winfrey show. My wife loves Kirk Franklin, loves his music, gospel music. I took her for one of her birthdays to go see Kirk Franklin when we were living in Los Angeles. 
Somehow, I don't, I don't know how my wife got in first class one time. How did you get in first class one time? She had a first class ticket. I did not buy her a first class ticket, but she was on an airplane and somehow Kirk Franklin was on the same plane, but he got bumped from first class. So my wife was offering him her first class seat. What's up with that? <laughs> she really likes Kirk Franklin. So we were watching Oprah and Kirk Franklin's on there. And we're like, wow, why is he on here? Oh, he was on there to repent on Oprah. He's repenting because for years, Kirk Franklin would do concerts. He would sell out shows, but he was a man addicted to pornography. So all those CDs we were listening to, it's Kirk Franklin, the great gospel singer, proclaiming Jesus, finishing the shows, consumed and addicted to pornography for years. So he's on the show, there's Oprah, he's there, and his wife's next to him, and he's broken and repentant and coming to Jesus for forgiveness. Repentance is beautiful. And you may be in here and you think, maybe I'm one of those who's gone so far and it's impossible for me to repent. If you're thinking that right now, that's not you. Because those where it's truly impossible for them to repent, they don't care. And if you care, you can repent. No matter what you're into, no matter how far that you have drifted and strayed, you can come back and follow Jesus and receive forgiveness today. Right now, grace is available to you. Repentance is beautiful. And repentance means I'm heading this way after sin. I don't want to go that way anymore. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go toward Jesus and I'm going to receive his forgiveness and grace. And only the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do that. So if that's you today, today is a beautiful day to repent and turn back to Christ and receive forgiveness and just keep following him. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way guided by God's Word.